asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Amen. And I want to call your attention this morning to uh, the, the latter part of verse 10. The Bible says that the Lord gave. Everyone say gave. And this is crucial. I know uh, we're getting ready to dedicate twins, and you might be looking more at the portion where it said twice as much. But I, wanted, I want to call your attention to the fact that the Lord gave Job twice as much. Amen. It is, it is important that we understand that. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down and uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. I want to hear the voice of the Lord today and I want to be obedient to his voice. Let's everybody talk to the Lord together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of gathering here in your house today. I ask, oh Lord God, that you would help us. I pray that you would meet with us. I ask that the anointing and unction of the Holy Ghost would rest upon your servant today. I pray, oh God, that you would use me to feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made me an overseer. I'm asking you, oh Lord God, that you would let us leave this place with a clearer understanding of your plan and purpose for our lives. Oh God, help us today. Meet with us. I pray you would touch hearts, change lives, save souls before we leave this house today. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's praise him together, everybody, can we? Let's praise the Lord. Let's take a few moments and worship him, everybody. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I want us to look again at this first verse of our text uh, because I want, to, I want to try this morning to be very clear about what I'm feeling on my heart today. Amen. Job 42 and verse 10. Read it for me again if you would. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I want you to say it again. The Lord gave. The Lord gave Job twice as much. I, I'm telling you that the Bible does not say that Job got twice as much or that Job ended up with twice as much, which is kind of the way we often describe it. You know, in the end, Job had twice as much. Well, he didn't just have twice as much, but the Bible's very specific that God gave him twice as much it wasn't job's own abilities it wasn't job's own talents it wasn't job's uh job's own plans and ideas and investments that brought him to the place where he was at this conjuncture of his life but it was because god looked upon job and god blessed job and god gave job what he had Amen. It was the gift of God. Hallelujah. Amen. In fact, let's go back and look in Job chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's, let's look at this for just a moment. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. All right. Now, it was, it was 7,000 sheep. Everyone say 7,000 sheep. That's what he started with. 7,000 sheep. All right. And 3,000 camels. Everyone say 3,000 camels. All right, 3,000 camels. And 500 yoke of oxen. He had 500 yoke of oxen. 
And 500 she-asses. He had 500 she-asses. And a very great household, so that this man was, was the greatest of all men of the East. All right, now, I know it's going to be hard for you to remember these numbers, but when we go back to Job 42 and verse 12, here's what the Bible says. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. All right, he started with 7,000 sheep, and now he has 14,000. Read. And 6,000 camels. He started with 3,000 camels. Now he has 6,000. Read. And a thousand yoke of oxen. He had he started with five hundred yoke of oxen. Now he has a thousand yoke of oxen. And a thousand she asses. He started with five hundred she asses. He now has a thousand. Here's what I'm telling you. He ended up with exactly twice as much. This was not an accident. This was not a coincidence. This was not well-laid investments and plans. But this was the blessing of God Almighty. God gave him exactly twice what he started with. Now, I'm telling you, God is a wonderful accountant. And God knew what it was that Job had. God knew exactly how many. I don't even know if Job knew how many animals he had. I mean, honestly, how could he know that he had 7,000 sheep? How could he know that exactly? But God knew it. You know, I would look out in those pastures and say, well, there's a bunch of them. But I'm sure I'd lose count before I ever got to 7,000. But God didn't lose count. And God knew exactly what he started with. And it was the hand of God that reached down and blessed Job. I, I, I want to stress this this morning. This was because God gave it to him. So everything that he had, everything that he had in the end, God gave him. Right? Everything he had, God gave him. Everything he had, God gave him. He had nothing before the blessing of God. The devil had taken everything from him. He had no children. He had no animals. He had no flocks. He had no herds. But God blessed him. And God gave. Well, hallelujah. Now, the Bible says the Lord gave Job twice as much, right? So whatever Job got was from the hand of God. So I want to take you back again to Job chapter 1 and verse 2. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. All right, seven sons, three daughters. This ought to be much easier for us to remember. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. But look at Job 42, verse 13. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And in the end, he got seven sons and three daughters. Now listen, listen, listen. It, th this is not accident. How in the world could you have 20 kids and, and the, the last half of them be exactly what the first half was? This is not coincidence. This was because God gave those children to Job. 
Now, in a little while before I'm done, I'm going to deal with the fact that when it came to animals, you read where he started with 7,000, he ended with 14,000. He started with 500, he ended with 1,000. But when it came to children, he started with seven sons and three daughters, and he ended with seven sons and three daughters. Yet the Bible says that God gave him twice as much. Now, I'm going to deal with that before we're done. But I do, what, what I want to point out to you, amen, is that these children that Job had were the gift of God. Well, hallelujah. I said they were the gift of God. And, and I, I, want, I want to do my best this morning to drive a point home to us. I want us to get back to a biblical mindset when it comes to children, when it comes to what we have in our homes. I want you to understand children are not accidents. I'm telling you, God gives us our children. They are the gift of God. I want to prove that to you. Amen. When Esau saw Jacob for the first time in many, many years, he asked specifically about the crowd of people that was with Jacob. And here was the answer that Jacob gave in Genesis 33 and verse 5. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which, the children which God graciously had given graciously given thy servant now i'm telling you jacob said these are my children but i want you to understand i have them because god gave them to me this is the gift of god is anybody hearing me this morning my children are the gift of god to me Amen. This is what Isaiah said. Amen. Isaiah uh, was, was writing about his family, discussing his family, and listen to how he described them in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me. I and the children whom the Lord hath given me. Now listen to me, church. I said I want us to get back to this kind of a biblical mindset. The world is trying to teach us that children are a problem. That children keep us down. They keep women from achieving their goals in life. And, 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 and they, they want to teach us that it's just a problem that we have to deal with. But I want us to understand. I want us to get a revelation today. Children are the gift of God. Amen. They are a blessing from heaven when we have children. Is anybody going to help me this morning? I'm telling you that children are the gift of almighty God. Amen. Psalm 127 and verse 3 Brother Daniels read this in his preaching last week. Amen. But I want to go back and look at it again. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Amen. The contemporary English version says, children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. You see, the word heritage literally means an inheritance, a portion, a possession. Amen. The Good News Bible says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a real blessing. Another translation says, don't you see that children are God's best 
gift, the fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. Is anybody hearing this preacher this morning? I want you to come to appreciate the children that you have today. They're not just yours. They are the gift of Almighty God. He blessed you with those children. God favored you by bringing those children into your life. They're the blessing of God. Amen. You're blessed. When you look at those children, you need to remind yourself, I have them because God blessed me. God gave me these children. God put these children into my home. Well, hallelujah. They are the blessing and the gift of Almighty God. Now, you know, we have just come through the Christmas season. And no doubt, most all of you, probably all of you, received some kind of gift for Christmas. And you know, the way you treat that gift says volumes. It really does. When you're given a gift, what you do with it. It's quite a sermon about the way you feel about what you've been given. We were, we were with uh, a group of uh, some other preachers and their wives a few weeks ago uh, at, at Pastor Howard's house, in fact. And, and um, a preacher's wife was telling us about going to a little party she had for the women in her church and and uh, they were asked to bring a gift of a certain amount you know and everybody would exchange gifts and so she said she was looking around the house and she saw this really it was really nice um i, I forget now what it was it, it was what cream and sugar bowl she said it very very nice but she said she never used it and she was thinking that it had been given to her by someone that that didn't even come to church there that they they didn't see and so she thought well you know this really is a nice gift somebody will appreciate it so she boxed it up wrapped it up took it and and when they were exchanging gifts and someone opened it her daughter-in-law said uh that's what i gave you last year for christmas and uh, she was quite embarrassed uh, about it all. Amen. And uh, so we, th- th- that became the joke the rest of that night was her regifting uh, and, and what all took place. But I'm telling you, when you do that, really what you're saying is this is really not necessary to me. You know, it might be nice, but it's not something I really value. Amen. If you leave that gift unopened or unattended or unprotected, you really don't appreciate the gift. Amen. How many people stood in lines after the holidays to exchange things they really didn't want? They were given gifts that they really did not want. Now you appreciate the thought, but you didn't like the gift. Or it didn't fit, or whatever the reason was. It didn't match the colors, or whatever your reasoning was for exchanging the gift. But I'm telling you, when you get a gift that you really appreciate, you'll put it in a place of prominence. You'll put it, amen, uh, under lock and key, or you'll constantly have it handy, or you'll be constantly using it. People will see that it's something you really appreciate by the way you deal with that gift. 
And I'm telling you that children are absolutely no different. We must always remember that God gave us our children. And we ought to be constantly showing him that we appreciate that gift by the way we treat those children. Well, hallelujah. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul gave very specific instructions. Not just to children regarding their relationship with their parents. But instructions to the parents regarding their relationship with the children. Now, are are you parents going to bail out on me now? A lot of times at uh, baby dedications, uh, we, we talk about, you know, children obeying their parents in the Lord and all of these things. But I want to talk to you parents this morning for just a few minutes about the way you're treating the gift that God gave you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. And thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers. And you fathers. Provoke not your children. Provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now I'm telling you, we, we no doubt have heard much preaching, much teaching about the need for children to honor their parents. And if there ever was a day and age that that needs to be preached and it needs to be taught, it's today. I'm telling you there is a generation that is coming up that has no clue what obedience means. They're not taught to obey anybody. Amen. And when they do disobey, it's just time out, you know. I'm going to take away your PlayStation for two hours or. And, and that's the extent of the discipline. And they never really learn what it means to truly obey. But I'm not here to talk to the children so much today as I am to say there's another verse in this passage that we should not overlook. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The contemporary English version says, parents, don't be too hard on your children. Raise them properly. Teach them and instruct them about the Lord. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that this is the plan and purpose. God gave you those children for a reason. Not so you can raise them to be what you want them to be, but so you can raise them to be what God wants them to be. Well, hallelujah. Amen. 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 I'm telling you, this is the plan of God. This is what God is calling on parents to do. This is why some of us don't, don't, don't discipline them the way they need to be disciplined or don't deal with them the way they need to be dealt with because we have lost sight of the fact they're really not ours. They are a gift from God. It's not about us teaching our kids to become rich and famous and well-known. It's not about whether or not they make the big leagues or the big time or their name is in life or they've got a fat bank account but I'm telling you God gave you those children so you'd raise them to become what God wants them to be teach them and instruct them about the Lord amen now with this phrase provoke not to wrath let me again read from a few other translations 
to help you understand what this means. One says, fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. Another says, parents, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. Another says, fathers, don't make your children bitter about life. And another says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I like that. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this is what God wants us to do. God wants us to see our role as parents as we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to see our children serve the Lord. There's a lot of things about life that I want my kids to know. But I'm telling you more than anything else, I want them to know Jesus Christ. I want them to know the power of the Holy Ghost. I want them to know Acts 2.38. I want them to go to heaven. It's more important to me than anything else in life. Amen. Now, I want you to think back to what the psalmist said about our children. Let's look at Psalm 127. And verse 3 again. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now, children are what? A what? Heritage. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They are the Lord's heritage to us. Right? 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 They are God's heritage. Now, with that in mind, I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I don't think that I'm twisting nor abusing Scripture to pull a passage here where Peter is really addressing pastors. But there's a principle in this that I think we need to see. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Here's what he says. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Taking oversight thereof. Not by constraint. Not by constraint. But willingly. Willingly. Not for filthy not lucre. Not for filthy lucre. But of a ready mind. But of a ready mind. Neither as being lords neither God's heritage. Neither as being lords over what? God's heritage. And being, but being in samples to the flock. Now here's what Peter said to pastors. Those people sitting out on the pew are God's children. Because children are a heritage from the Lord. They're God's children. Now he said, don't be a Lord over God's children. And, and that phrase, a Lord over, is really, literally, in, in the Greek, it is an overlord. You ever heard that term before? That's, that's really what he's saying. Don't be an overlord. It means to hold in subjection, to be the master of, to exercise lordship over. Here's what he said to the pastor. He said, your job is not to be the people's lord. It's to lead them to the lord. And I'm telling you that principle is just as true for the parents. Your job is not to be that child's Lord, but your job is to lead that child to the one true Lord. Well, hallelujah. 
Oh, God, help us today. I'm telling you the way that we raise our children so many times, the discipline that we do uh, disperse upon them is because they embarrass us or, or, or you know, they, they said something that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. We're, we're worried that they're not acting the way others would think. And it's really nothing about what it, how it affects their relationship with God. But I'm telling you that everything that goes on in the life of your child, you ought to look at it through the eyes of how does this affect their relationship with God I want my child to be saved whether they're rich or not is irrelevant I want them saved whether they're a genius or not is irrelevant I want them saved whether they look like a Hollywood model or not is irrelevant I want them saved the most important thing I can do as a parent is to take them by the hand and lead them to the Lord. Not become their Lord, but lead them to the Lord. I'm telling you the words of the Apostle John ought to be our feelings as well. Third John chapter 1 and verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now look, I'm not asking for a show of hands. But I want you to ask yourself this morning. Can you say... With absolute sincerity, this is the way you feel. John said, I have no greater joy. There is nothing that makes me happier. There is nothing that makes me happier. The job they get, the promotion... The accolades at school. The pats on the back from others. The accomplishments. The achievements. All these things are great. And they should bring you joy as a parent. But I'm telling you, John said, there's nothing that makes me happier. Nothing makes me happier. Than to know my children are walking in the truth. That's the happiest I can possibly be. There is nothing they could ever accomplish in life that would ever make me happier than just knowing they're living for God. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. I, and, 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 and I'm sorry for the constant references back, but having just come from this tragic funeral, young man, 36 years old, really just in the prime of his life, and, and he was accomplishing so very much. Gary Lee Howard Jr. was, was doing great things, and, and uh, he had his difficult times, and he walked through some times where he wasn't really faithful to God and, and got involved in some things, and, 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 uh, uh, but he was building a sound and lighting company and, and was becoming one of the most sought after sound men that you could find not just in the church but some top names that I could call off right now in the secular world were wanting him because he had such an ear for it but I'm going to tell you something when brother sister Howard walked into that house and found their son dead of a heart attack it didn't matter who out there thought their son was a good sound man. It didn't matter then how much money he had in his bank account. It didn't matter that he had a brand new car, something like two weeks old, sitting in his driveway. 
When they found him dead, there was only one thing that mattered. And that was the fact that the night before, they'd been with him in a prayer meeting. And he'd been praying, God, whatever you do, don't let me mess up again. I'm going to serve you. I don't care what you've got to do. I want to be saved. They listened as he prayed. Amen. He prayed and prayed and prayed, interceded, talked to God, spoke in tongues. I'm telling you, that meant more to them than the fact that Randy Travis wanted him for a sound man. It meant more to them than the fact that anybody else was trying to use his company. I'm telling you, the only thing that mattered was that their son had walked in the truth. And I'm preaching to you this morning, parents. Let us not get our perspective, amen, all out of whack. Let us never forget there is nothing more important than our children being saved. And if we want our children to be saved, there's a heavy responsibility on our shoulders about the way we live and what we do. You know, it's amazing the amount of influence that parents have on their children. It really is. It's amazing how much influence they have. I want to show you something. Um, I I had never thought about this before, but while we were at Heritage, Brother uh, McKillop just made mention of something while he was preaching, and it really struck home with me. And and as I, was, as I was studying and putting all this together, his words came back to me. Let me show you something uh, from the book of Job. This is where I, we took our text. In Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, I want you to listen to this. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Uh-huh. And it was so when the days of their feasting, the days of their about, feasting were gone about that Job sent and Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings, offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all according to the number of them all for job said because listen to what he said it may be that my it sons have sinned it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts and and what cursed god A righteous man like Job is worried that his kids might curse God? Why why would he worry that his kids might? I mean, that's pretty severe. You know, I can understand him saying, well, I'm afraid they got to partying too much and did some things they shouldn't do. And so I want to make sure I offer sacrifices because they might have got a little carried away and crossed some lines they shouldn't have crossed. But you know what Job's fear was? He was afraid they would curse God. What would make a man think his children might curse God? What would put that into his mind? Well, I think we see a little clue when we go over to chapter 2. Job's going through everything he's going through. They've lost their children. They've lost all their possessions. And now Job's health is gone. He's covered with boils. He's sitting out in the ash heap scraping his boils with broken pottery. And here comes Mrs. Job. And in Job chapter 2, verse 9, she says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Whoa, wait. What is it she said? Curse God. Curse God. I submit to you, I don't believe this was the first time that had ever come out of her mouth. 
I don't know any other reason Job would be worried that's what his kids would do unless this was something Mrs. Job did every time she got in trouble. There was something that Job thought was being passed down to his kids from somewhere. Wasn't coming from Job. It didn't matter how bad things got for Job. He sinned not, neither charged God foolishly. In all this, Job sinned not with his lips. Isn't that what the Bible said? Job never said anything against God. Where would his kids get such an idea? They must have gotten it from their mama. And that's why Job was worried. I'm afraid my wife may have put something in them. I'm afraid she might have taught them the wrong things. I'm afraid in their moments of weakness they might become more like her than they are like me. Because she obviously didn't have the relationship with God that Job had. I'm just, I'm trying to convey to you, we've got to be careful about the things that we impart to our children. Now, the other side of that coin is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in... Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that means not hypocritical. It is, it is unpretentious. This is not something you're putting on, Timothy. It's a genuine faith you've got. Paul said, you've got a genuine faith. Where did he get it from? Read. Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. This is where it came from. Grandma had it. Grandma had a real faith in God. And that faith didn't stop with Grandma. Read. Grandmother Eunice. And Grandma passed it on to your mama. And, and I am persuaded that in thee also. I'm telling you, Timothy, you have received something from your grandmother and your mother. They have put a positive influence in you. Just like Mrs. Job was a negative influence on her kids. Hey, man, I'm telling you, Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother was a positive influence on him. We have the choice today about what we're going to make out of the gift that God has entrusted to our care. We have a choice today as to how our children are going to turn out. I'm asking you how are you treating the gift that God has given you? Are you teaching them to be negative? Are you teaching them to always see the downside of everything? Are you teaching them, amen, to be carnal, to look at things through worldly eyes? Or are you instilling in them a positive outlook? Are you teaching them how to pray? Are you teaching them to be faithful to the house of God? Are you teaching them to live a separated, holy, life under God. I'm telling you parents uh, our influence uh, has a tremendous impact on what our children are going to become. And we got to understand God is calling us as parents to teach our kids to be what he wants them to be not what we want them to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's quiet this morning, and I know some of you didn't come expecting to be preached to, but this is what I feel on my heart today. I, I, I'm telling you, we, we can sit around and complain about today's generation. We can sit around and complain about the way children are, but there's only one person to blame. That's the parent. 
That's the only person you can blame for the way the kids are. Do you, do you know the difference between today and children of the 1950s? You want to know the difference? The parents. It's not that there's something genetic in children that has changed. Well, hallelujah. What's changed is our mindset. The way we raise children today is different than the way they were raised before. If they grow up without respect, it's not because of genetics. It's not because of some hormone kids are born with today that they never had before. Well, the difference is the way we're raising them. And I'm telling you, we, we've got, this is why I started this message, by trying to instill in you an understanding that the children you have are really not yours. They're just a gift from God. God gave them to you. Now, you know, somebody gives you a nice sugar bowl, pretty, let's say it's, it's beautiful china and expensive and you go set it outside on your window ledge and plant flowers in it. You know, you're not really saying you, you're not thankful for the gift. You're just saying you don't appreciate it as much as it was intended to be appreciated. And I wonder how many of us have raised our children to be flower pots when they were really fine china. But it all depends on what we put in them. It's not what we're given. It's not what they are. It's not the shell. It's what we instill in them. I don't want my children to learn to be negative. I don't want to lear- them to learn to see the downside of everything, to see the bad side of everything. I want them to learn. I, you know, I don't care how bad life is. There is a God that's in heaven, and he can help you through your struggles. My children, I'm not telling you I was the perfect parent, but I'm going to tell you my children have seen us struggle. We've been through tough times. Uh, There were times in my home when I didn't have a whole lot that my kids knew what it was to see their mom and dad struggle. But I can promise you this, I did my best. They never heard us whine. They never heard us talk about how horrible things were. They sure never heard us complain about God. But what they saw was a mom and dad that knew how to trust in God. We knew that God was going to come through what I I wanted to teach my kids was honey you can trust God in the bad times as well as the good times it all depends on what we're putting in them are we really treating God's gift the way he wants us to treat them hallelujah now I want us to go back And look at my text one more time this morning. Job chapter 42 and verse 10. And um, I want us to look at something else here. I have spent this much of our time dealing with the fact that God gave. God gave. God gave these children to Job. But I want us to go back and look at that other phrase in Job 42 and 10. Let's read it again. And it shall come to pass. No, Job 42 and 10. 
And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I want to say twice as much. Now, there, there's no debate on this. If we believe that every word of the Bible is true, then this is true. God gave Job twice as much. We've already taken the time to show you that he gave twice as many animals to the very number. God doubled the herds and flocks. I believe that to the very penny, God doubled the money that Job had. Because the Bible said that he had twice as much as he had before. And yet, and yet when it was all said and done, he had started with seven sons and three daughters. They were taken from him. After God says he gave Job twice as much, Job has seven sons and three daughters. Why doesn't he have 14 sons and six daughters? Did God give him twice as much or didn't he? Did he or didn't he? He did, didn't he? God did give him twice as much, right? So why didn't he have 14 sons and six daughters? I'm telling you, he did have 14 sons and six daughters. Those seven sons and three daughters that he lost were only taken from him in this life. But they were still his children. And he was going to see them again. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, he only had seven sons and three daughters that he could see with his physical eye. But I submit to you, I believe right now, I believe Job is reunited with 14 sons. Amen. I believe that he is reunited with six daughters. I believe they're all right there. God gave Job twice as much. Now, you know what that says to me? Of everything that God gives us, there's only one gift that is eternal. God gave Job twice as much money, but Job didn't take that to heaven. God gave Job twice as many camels and twice as many oxen and twice as many sheep. And twice as many donkeys. But Job didn't take any of that to heaven. There's only one thing God gives us that is eternal. Parents, I want you to hear me this morning. This is why it's so important that you raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Whatever they become in this life is going to be meaningless. It doesn't matter if the world knows their name when they stand before God on judgment day. It's not going to matter how wealthy they were when they stand before God on judgment day. What's going to matter is, are they saved? Saved. Your children are the only thing 
you can take to heaven with you. We need, we need to make sure that of all the investments we're making in our kids, we are making spiritual investments in them. Most of you parents have life insurance. Something happens to you, you want your kids taken care of. Some of you have gone far enough to make out wills, set up trusts. You want to make sure that you know who's going to care for your kids if something happens to you, if they're still living at home. You're you're taking care of all the temporal things, and that's fine and good. But I want to ask you what happens What happens when your children go into eternity? That life insurance policy is going to be meaningless. The trust is going to be worthless. The will is going to crumble and turn to dust. But what's going to matter then is what you've put in those kids. Not what you gave to them, but what you put in them. That's the key. Now, the second thing I want you to notice about this phrase, the Lord gave Job twice as much. I won't say twice as much. First thing that that phrase teaches me is that our children are the only gift that's eternal. Because God did give Job twice as many children. Exactly twice as many. It wasn't wasn't a matter of family planning, you hear me? That could again give him seven sons and three daughters. That was the hand of God. That was the blessing of God that brought that about. And that's the only gift that's eternal. But there is something else about this phrase that caught my attention as I was studying this portion of scripture. That phrase twice as much. I'm going to say twice as much. That phrase twice as much. Only appears two other times in the scripture. In all of the word of God. There are only two other places. Where the Bible speaks of something being twice as much. Now you know we could go to, to passages. Uh, for instance where Elisha. Ask Elijah for a double portion. But I'm talking about the phrase twice as much. Twice as much. There's only two other places where it appears other than in Job 42. And both of them are in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 5. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Right? On the sixth day they prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And then verse 22 of this same chapter. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. To on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And so one, one of these verses is instruction about what God expects, and the other is the application of that instruction where it tells that they were doing what God told them to do. It's the only other place in the Scripture that you find the phrase twice as much. This phrase is dealing with the treatment of manna. 
Manna was God's gift of bread from heaven. Right? It was God's gift of bread from heaven. And here's what God said to the people of Israel. He said, every day when you get up, there'll be manna on the ground. I'm going to provide miracle bread for you every day that you're out here wandering in the wilderness. You're never going to have to go hungry. You're never going to have to plant a garden. I'm going to provide miracle bread every day. But he said, I'm telling you to only get as much as you need each day. When you get up on, on Monday, I, I want you just to get just enough for you and your family for that day. Don't get too much, get just enough. And I want this to be the case every day of the week, except, except on the day before the Sabbath. And on the day before the Sabbath, whatever you've been gathering the other days of the week, on Friday, I want you to go out and I want you to gather twice as much. Now, hear me, church. Every day, and in fact, they tried some of the, you know, these, these Jews were hard-headed folks, just like some of us Gentiles are. They, they were hard-headed folks, and it didn't matter what God said. They were going to do what they wanted to do. They walk out, and they find manna, and God said, just get just enough. Don't try to store it up. Don't try to hoard it. You just get enough for today. You know what some of them did? They went out and gathered a bunch, kept it overnight. Went to get it out the next day, and the Bible said it bred worms and stank. That's what the scripture says. So God saw to it, it was only good for one day. I, I'm t six days a week, it was, or five days a week, actually, it was only good for one day. But on that sixth day, when they would go out and gather twice as much, and some of those hard-headed folks didn't do it, and went hungry the next day. But when they gathered twice as much on that day, the next day they got up, there's no worms in it. It's not stinking. It's just as fresh on the Sabbath day as if they had just gathered it that morning. So on one day out of the week, God said, gather twice as much as a sign of my miraculous provision for you when you obey what I tell you. Are you hearing me this morning? I am, I, I, and I'm almost done. I'm almost finished. But, but I want to tell you, there was something about it that God was trying to instill in his people. Amen. He wanted them to know, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just do what I want you to do, You'll have twice as much and I'll take care of you. And I'll bless you. And it was the blessing and the miraculous provision of God. And so that brings us now to this point where we're getting ready to dedicate these two babies. And I want to tell you what I really felt as I was praying about this service. And it's not just because they're my granddaughters. But I want to tell you this morning that I really believe that these two girls are a special gift from God. I believe that God looked down 
and Erica and JD. And God gave them twice as much. I believe that God was saying, I'm going to use these girls. I'm just telling you, write it down. Say what you want to say. I'm not trying to, to, to create some kind of hyperbole. This is, not, this is not, I'm just telling you what I feel this morning, all right? I'm just telling you that I felt in prayer God has a very special plan for these two girls. God is going to do something through their lives. God is going to show his miraculous provision. And God is going to do something great in the lives of these two beautiful girls. There's something special about what God has done. Amen. In this family. I'm telling you, I looked at it. In fact, some of you read my blog when I wrote about it. I, I said, you know, it was an amazing thing. I finished uh, 2009. I only had three grandchildren. But by the end of 2010, I had six. God had literally given me twice as much in the last year. I, I just believe that it's significant. I believe that God is going to show us something in the lives of these girls as time passes, as things progress. I believe God has something very special planned for them, for their lives, for us, for this church. By blessing us with this double blessing. Amen. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord, everybody. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's love him for just a moment. Let's love him for just a moment, can we? Let's love the Lord. Let's love the Lord. Parents, could you make a commitment right now? God, I want to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Grandparents that are here, you're still having an influence. Timothy's grandmother had an influence on him. I'm telling you, you can still have an influence on the lives of those children. Come on, let's take just a moment. Let's take a moment and commit ourselves. I want to put... I want to put something eternal in the hearts and lives of my children, my grandchildren. I want them to come to know God in a very special way. If the world never knows their name, I just want their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If they never have a nice home down here, I just want to know they got a mansion over in glory. They never amass great wealth down here. I just want to know that one day they're going to walk on streets of gold. I have no greater joy. I have no greater joy. Oh, I'm proud of my kids. I was proud of them when they got good grades. I was proud of them when they received awards and acknowledgments. And I, I, I was proud of them at the highlights of their life. But I'm telling you, I have no greater joy than to look out across this congregation and see my children living for God. To see my children serving God. Oh, hallelujah. 
Anybody else feel that way this morning? There's nothing, nothing, nothing more important to me than that my children be saved. Hallelujah. I had a precious, sweet grandmother. I've told the story before. God saved her just months before he called her home. My children never met her. My grandchildren never met her. the opportunity to someday meet her. If they'll serve God, if they'll live for God. Oh, let's love him one more time. Different prayers I pray for all that you might do. 
Jesus who said, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I do believe that it's fitting and proper that we bring children to the Lord while 
they are still young, tender, new. The mystery and the wonder of new life is what brings us to this moment and to this point. To stand here reverently and thoughtfully before the Father of all life. And it's given a new and a compelling message of the dignity of life as well as the obligation of parenthood. Our purpose in these dedicatory services is really to help the parents, grandparents, help all of us to appreciate our obligation to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that when they come to the understanding of their responsibility, it will be a natural thing for them to turn from the right to the wrong. That it will be natural for them at an early age to obey the message of repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost according to Acts 2.38. As I said in my message, I believe God has a very special and specific purpose for these children, for these two girls. And it is only in finding that purpose and living that purpose out fully that they can really claim to be successful. And to, re to, to refuse or to ignore the purpose of God will mean failure no matter how much worldly acclaim may come to them. And so you as parents and we as grandparents and really the entire church share in the obligation, the duty, and the privilege of guiding these children in such a way that the will of God becomes the greatest ambition of their life. And it is to this task that you're called to consecrate yourselves today and to this end you dedicate your child to God. In accordance with the purpose for which you've come, I ask you to respond to the following covenant by saying we do. Do you now present your children to God in solemn dedication? Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to instruct them in the teachings of Jesus Christ and in the practice of prayer, faithfulness to God and his house in every area of Christian duty and service and to guide them in the development of a Christ-like character? Do you promise to try to the best of your ability to so shape the home life of your children, both by family devotions and by your words and your example, that they will, at the proper age, most naturally come to obey the message of Acts 2.38 and into the fellowship of the church. And as much as you've promised before God and this people to dedicate your children to God and yourselves to the task of rearing them for God, I charge you to address yourselves faithfully to this sacred obligation with wisdom, with patience, with devotion. And to this end, may the blessing of God rest upon you. Amen. Church, I want you to pray with me now as we dedicate McKenna Emerson and Peyton Addison Williams to the Lord and his service. Can we all pray together?
firstborn. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, I dedicate this child to you right now. I'm asking you, O oh Lord God, that you would put your hand upon her, that the hand of God would rest upon her in a mighty way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful gift, and we dedicate her now to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, keep her safe, God, all the days of her life. Grant her health, O oh God. Lord Jesus, but most of all, let her heart be tender before you. God, I'm asking, Lord, that she would serve you. God, give her a special place in the service of God, in your kingdom, in your work. God, I'm asking you, Lord, let her be a blessing to the kingdom of God all the days of her life. I thank you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus' name. Praise God. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, let's pray, church. 